Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by John Cross of the Daily Mirror and Tom Hopkinson of the Sunday Mirror. Liverpool will be playing the kids in their FA Cup replay against Shrewsbury. Jurgen Klopp and his players will be respecting a winter break. So much for the magic of the cup. It's another mess that sums up modern football. Some accuse Liverpool of bringing the competition into disrepute. Others blame the FA for surrendering to the Premier League. In any case, this break is a farce, isn't it? Blink and you miss it. Yeah, it, look, it has been tarnished somewhat. I, I, I have actually got sympathy on both sides. Sorry to sit on the fence as well. <laughs> but look, I think it's essential, the winter break, really. If we are going to move with the times, I think that the winter break coming out of the really busy time of January, and by that I mean kind of you've had the festive period. I love Christmas period. I love the sort of kind of third round weekend. I actually think that the fourth round is, is still quite special. Generally, you've got lots of minnows there, haven't you? And then you slip into this window of opportunity. And it seemed almost too good to be true. And the reason for that is, yes, it was really. I, th I think actually the Premier League have tried to bend over backwards to give everyone a two-week break into, into this cycle. It's not going to suit everyone. It's sort of the overlapping cycle is going to cause rows as we go along. They've got an easier fixture. They've got an easier break, that sort of thing. But I don't think we envisaged sort of kind of coming to this point. Or maybe we did, because actually, if you trace back a Premier League letter that was sent to all the clubs at the end of March 2019, it was telling them to absolutely not arrange any fixtures, not to arrange any sort of kind of schedules, be it competitive or friendly, and lo and behold, the FA have done it for them. I mean, really, the reality is that Liverpool will still get, even if they chose to play their first teamers, they will still get 11 days clear, which, along the theory of it's better than nothing kind of um, philosophy, it is better than nothing, but it's still not ideal. How we got ourselves in, into the mess in this first place is anyone's guess, but what I would say is that it was pretty clear from the Premier League and the FA to the clubs. And I guess it's it's up to Jurgen Klopp what, what he does here. I, I think he's well within his rights to play the kids. Haven't got an issue with that. If he doesn't like the FA Cup, ev lots of other clubs will, because the big teams always win it. 
we shouldn't we shouldn't sort of kind of forget that. But I do think that Jurgen Klopp should take charge of the team. I think anything else of that would be would be disrespectful. Mm, but isn't football about more, Tom, than the biggest clubs and they, their self interest? It should be. Whether it is anymore is a different question altogether. I mean, look, I was at Brentford on, uh, on, on Saturday for the Leicester game. Both teams made nine changes. Leicester had got their uh, EFL Cup semi-final against Aston Villa coming up on the Tuesday. Brentford had got a game against Nottingham Forest and fifth place in the Championship. They, they viewed that game as more important than an FA Cup fourth-round fixture because of the riches that are on offer. So, you know, I, I don't even think it's necessarily the, the big six clubs anymore that we can be just having a go at. I mean, Thomas Frank said afterwards that, you know, it's quite a pithy comment that he'd have, he'd have hooked the centre-halves or told everyone to get forward if he thought that, that a replay might have been coming because he, he just didn't want it. He actually said that the replays are what is killing the FA Cup, which, you know, when, when you've got the top six saying it, I think that's, you know, can sort of handle that. But when you've got clubs like Brentford now looking to not have replays, uh, you know, I think, you know, forgetting completely where they've come from in, in recent seasons. And, and we saw, I mean, you were at Shrewsbury yesterday, Crossy, you know, and, and you see just what it means to all those fans behind, you know, standing yeah. behind the Match of the Day studio. So I think it's something we've got to be, got to be very careful of. We don't want to lose the soul of the FA Cup. We don't want to lose for those clubs the chance to make that extra money, but not not just make the extra revenue, which of course we all worry it becomes about, but for those players to get the chance to go and play at Anfield or to go and play at Old Trafford, you know, Goodison, any of the big stadiums, it, it's, it can be a career highlight. So it, we have to be very, very careful to strike, to strike a balance between it. The, the one thing I will say about this Jurgen Klopp story. From, from a journalistic perspective, it is a cracking story. You know, it's it's a great story. It reignites this debate that we've been having for several years about the cup. If I take myself away from that and look at it from a fan's perspective, I wonder if it's a little bit of a storm in a teacup. I mean, Klopp's already played the kids in the third round and they won, so good on them. He played them in the fourth round against Shrewsbury and yes, they threw it away, but they should have seen it out. So it strikes me that the only thing, apart from maybe Salah coming on as a substitute and couple of the other big names around. The only thing that's really going to change about this FA Cup replay is that Jurgen Klopp won't be on the sidelines. So really, what are we getting that upset about? Well, I suppose we're getting upset, John, about what football meant to all of us mm. growing up. And mm. in the FA Cup, I don't know if, about yourself, but to me it was central to my football experience. Yeah. You know, following a small club and you draw Man United and the whole town turns out. And there were some images yesterday that you must have seen. There was one that that sticks in my brain was there's a little lad in a yellow goalkeeping kit skipping off the ground. He's got his arms aloft and his eyes are wide. And you think, well, that's what it's all about. Yeah, of course. And listen, there's another sort of one that caught my eye. It was a sort of a father and son by the edge of the pitch. And this guy's put together a sort of a cutout of the FA Cup covered in foil. It's the best day of their supporting lives. Mm. Those kids and those families will remember that day forever. I mean, I know the stadium's only been there for 13 years, but that's a part of the, the unforgettable history. They've written it into Shrewsbury Town folklore. And, you know, it, it is, I see people going on Twitter saying, oh, the, the magic of the cup has gone. Do me a favour. What does it mean for them? It means absolutely the world. It's brilliant. And I do think that even for the bigger clubs, you know, I was really interested to see... One of the papers over the weekend does, does a sort of kind of a cutout of kind of, you know, 20 years ago or whatever it was. And they did a sort of a kind of a flashback to the fourth round of 1987. The, 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 the Chelsea-Liverpool home tie in the fourth round attracted 27,000 that weekend. Now, I'm sorry, but if you stage that at Stamford Bridge, it will be, you know, 
it, had it been played last weekend, it would have been a sellout. Man United attracted 53,000. I think it was Newcastle were at home, got early 30s. Again, far greater attendance. Is this myth that the, and it is a myth, that the FA Cup is losing its magic, is it somewhere dying out, is complete, you know, absolute fantasy. It really is. It's still a magical competition, loved and respected by the world. The attendances are good. Look at the previous winners. Just look at them. It, it's, it, it's Manchester City, it's Manchester United, it's Arsenal, it's Chelsea. The big boys love it, honestly. Klopp, yeah, I... Klopp is not in love with it, and I think maybe we should look at it, but we're not scrapping replays, let's also clear that up, mm. because the TV deal is until 2024. People talk about, oh, it's time to scrap replay. It's not even on the agenda. It's not being discussed, because it can't be, because it's written in stone. Sorry, but people, you know, perpetuate these nonsense, you know, issues and stories and debates. The FA Cup is here to stay. We should love it and respect it. I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying about, you know, it is a myth. The, the, you know, you, you go to a bad game, you see someone say the FA Cup, the magic's gone. You go to a great FA Cup game, everyone says, no, no, it's mm. back. It's, so would, we, you're right, we can debunk that now. But you cannot tell me that those Shrewsbury fans, they, they went home from the game yesterday and, of course, it was a magical day out for them. They are reading about their team in the papers this morning. They're hearing... TV stations, radio stations talking about what a great result they've got. But in the cold light of the day, they drew 2-2 with Liverpool's kids. Yes, some of the bigger names came on later on. But, so, they, so... but they, they earn themselves about a million pounds, which, will, which will pay for upgrading the training ground. Of course. They'll, they'll so is give, it, so give their this fans is the something more Is it even more, more magical, the fact that they... Because, if, let's face it, if Liverpool's all-conquering first-team squad had gone there and played, Shrewsbury would probably have been on the same end of a... Tonking like Tranmere, and would they have gone away remembering that? But they've actually got to play against the kids, and they probably they, they're going to. We know they're going to play against them at Anfield, mm. and they get they've got a chance. So, has the magic gone? You know, in, in twenty or thirty years' time, Shrewsbury fans probably won't be. Yeah. Will they be thinking about whether they played the, the first team? I just don't think they will. They'll be just saying, "Wasn't that a great day? Didn't we have fun? And remember when we went to Anfield? What a magical night out that was!" So, yeah. I, I, I still think there's there's room. You know. All right, but, all right. I'll counter that. I'll counter that. I was in the press box uh, uh, yesterday, and a couple of us were sort of kind of, you know, this story is unfolding before our eyes. Turned to the guy behind who's from BBC Radio Shropshire, who, who basically, you know, recounts all the great highlights down the years. I mean, you know, he's recalling one from more recent times against Chelsea. You know, sort of they got a sort of result in the League Cup, and you know, previous, previous, previous. This is the greatest day, and he, he was going through all the all the great days in the club's history, and this was one of them. Yeah, but I'm not saying I'm not arguing about that. It was magical. I mean, whether, even whether, whether they played against the, yeah, where, where, whether it was Tom, Tom, yeah, because Tom, it's Liverpool. Tom, where, are, where are we going with all this? Because you've already got Pep Guardiola basically saying, "Let's get rid of the League Cup." Mm. Jurgen Klopp is is by his very actions in both cups signaling his you know, disenfranchisement for what football used yeah. to be. Are we going to lose one of those cups? And if so, will it be the League Cup that slips down? No, I don't see, I don't see why we should lose one of them. I mean, I, I, I do wonder if in years to come clubs will be given, you know, do, look, do you want to play in this competition because we want to take it seriously? And if you don't want part of it, don't worry, you, you go. You lose the TV revenue from it, lose, you know, the doubt, lose the doubt at Wembley or the chance of a doubt at Wembley for your supporters. And I, I don't think I'd have a particular problem with that. You know, if you've got bigger fish to fry, off you go. But then, don't come scurrying back, 
you know, in 10 years' time, if you, you do what Leeds did and blow all your money and the, the whole game changes, because you won't be welcome. You, you make your mind up now and you go. But I, I, I think, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible for not wanting to move with the times in football. I, I, I think the game has worked very, very well for more than 100 years. Why change it so much when, when we all love it? But there has to be a degree of, you know, let's... Let's look at it. And, and, and I, I do think if, if managers and clubs are starting to get to the point where they are going to be disrespectful towards it, then it's a simple question to them. Look, do you want to be in or out? And if they want to be in with their younger players, then they run the risk of going, you know, going out early, whatever, or mm. having to have replays. But I, I, I mean, how long have we been having this debate, by the way, about the FA Cup losing its magic and, and you know, will replays be scrapped? Will And yes, look, the, the voice, the noise is building a bit around replays being scrapped. But... I, I don't see it ultimately going anywhere. I, I look at this in, in the biggest picture possible and you can see a realignment of the English game mm. beginning to mm. take shape around us. You've got a lot of championship clubs, including your, your own one, Derby, who are very unhappy with that. There's a lot more talk these days about another breakaway, a PL2 or whatever you want to call it. Are we getting to the point where football is on the verge of a real seismic shift? Yes, we are. Because I'll tell you for why. I, I just think that the, there will be a reshape, whether we, whether we like it or not. And personally, I just think it's the way football is going of the Champions League. There'll be a restructure. And it will basically be, it'll be the same number of teams, but more games, bigger round-robin, restructured group stage. And it will, be, it will result in, without shadow of a doubt, in my view, however many Premier League teams are guaranteed into that, whether it be four or six, pulling out of the League Cup. That's how it will work. The League Cup will be a different structure entirely. And I, I think once you have that point, you've almost reached the point of no return because you are giving... And I don't really blame the EFL for this because, basically, if the cl other clubs don't want to play it... I mean, Man City, fair play to them. They always respect the, you know, the League Cup. You know, they're going for, for another final, aren't they? And then you cannot tell me that Leicester and Villa won't enjoy that day at Wembley. So it still retains, you know, a special essence, um, that competition. But the moment you give licence to say, go on then, on you go, and basically you can pull out, you don't need to play in that because you've got bigger fish to fry in the restructured, reshaped Champions League, is the moment, I think, that you give licence to people to say... Well, if you're saying that on one competition, we'll restructure that. We'll have a bit of a breakaway. We'll do, we'll do a reshaped Premier League. It, you, you basically, it's the straw that breaks the camel's back, really. You're opening up all the doors, really, to complete restructure everywhere. But there's no doubt in my mind that, I mean, the, the, the European Clubs Association want to have a new restructure in place by March. Why is that? Well, because basically because, they want, because great, they want the same money that the Premier League have got. Yeah. Because they're jealous of the money. I mean, and also you get a greater they will get a greater guarantee. I think it will be thirty-two clubs still. If you reach the last sixteen, you're guaranteed a place in the following season's Champions League. That's what they're aiming for. If that's the case, Tom. Why don't you just say, okay, chaps, go away, take your ball, set your set your Super League up. And let the rest of us get on. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. That, that's that's exactly what I'm saying about the the EFL trophy or uh, cup. Sorry, you know, if if teams do want to pull out of it, it's fine. But you will never ever be welcome back, and mm. the rest of us will, you know, will change. I mean, you, you mentioned you mentioned the the restructuring of of the championship or the, this the idea of a Premier League, too. which has already been influenced. You know, in a malign way by parachute payments. You've, it's the Gamblers' League. People are losing fortunes. They are, yeah, but, but yeah, I mean, 
I mean, the, the people, some of the figures I've, I've heard even this morning about the losses that championship clubs are, are running at on a monthly basis are mind-blowing. Give, um, give us an example. Well, uh, one, one club, three million a month. It was, you know, look, and, and it, it's, it's from someone who, and that was last season, that's from someone who would know, yeah. but, you know, I won't, I won't tell you what club it is, and it's because it's, it's not, it isn't set in stone. But, you know, it, it, I, I just think the whole, the whole issue... You talk about a seismic shift, Mike. I think the seismic shift has happened, actually, and I think it's been almost happening under our noses while, you know, we've, we've been aware that something's been going on with all this money that has come flooding into the game now. But I, would you be surprised if a Premier League club turned around now and said, we don't want to be in the EFL Cup, we don't want to be in the FA Cup, we don't want to... Or, or if the top six said, we're going to leave. I don't think any of us would be surprised, which is why I say the seismic shift has actually happened. But, but conversely, I also think, you know, you talk about the, the, the two leagues in the Championship. Let's look at a club like Brentford, who haven't, got, haven't had any parachute payments. So, again, I still think there's, you know, it's mm. not... That's a brilliant set, model, by the way, isn't it? it? Absolutely, yeah. It's not set in stone, though. You know, a club doing things right. They, buy, they bring players through, they sell them, but they sell them when they've got somebody else to come in and, and take their place and somebody who's been, who's, who's been well-rounded and, and brought through the club structure in, in the proper way and they've got the stadium, they're not going to oversell themselves moving into a new stadium. It's, it's, it's you know, we've mocked it. Some mm. people have mocked it over the years in, in the, way that, uh, the way that the club has been run. I know they don't like the Moneyball tag, but, you know, it's sort of you can see how it's come to be given to them. But, but they are, they're doing, doing great things. In a way... One thing that puts the FA Cup into perspective is the fact that Manchester United absolutely walked all over Tranmere, mm. who at least had a go and were thrashed for their pains. That's going to count for nothing this week. They've got another pretty dispiriting week ahead. When you look at it, you've got the League Cup final, uh, sorry, semi-final against Manchester City when one looks at that and thinks, well, avoiding humiliation is probably the best they can hope for. Then they've got Wolves at Old Trafford this could be another big, bad week for Man United, couldn't it? Yeah, I mean, every, every game at the moment, it seems like a bruising affair, really. I, I, I honestly, I, I respect him what, what Man United, you know, the noises coming out of Man United, which are that we're going to stick by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They've made no sort of kind of secret of that and they're going to back him. But I just wonder how many more body blows that they can take, really. Because, ultimately, this is Manchester United. And to hear... Solskjaer talk about kind of, oh, we're still in fifth. He did go on to say, like, you know, we shouldn't, you know, see that as something to, you know, that we should just be clinging to. Man United are expected to win trophies and titles year in, year out. I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. This is not some sort of game where they can give Solskjaer kind of time. And listen, other managers, bigger name managers, Van Gaal and Mourinho, were not afforded such time. They were certainly not afforded, I have to say, such kind of generosity from some of the critics. I mean, some of, you know, I have to say, some of the former sort of teammates of Solskjaer, I mean, now they seem to have turned their guns and their attention on Ed Woodward far rather than, you know, sort of kind of bury Solskjaer in a way that I don't believe that previously they would have, you know, afforded Mourinho such time and luxury. Great credit to him. I think Rio Ferdinand... Put, did put his head above the parapet after the game last week when they lost at home to Burnley on BT Sport and basically said, look, you know, no, it's not good enough for Solskjaer. It's not good enough. And I don't think it's good enough for, for Man United. And I think sooner or later we have to get across this, 
this point. Woodward is clearly doing a very, very good job at selling the Man United brand and bringing in lots of commercial deals. Share prices Absolutely, in. you can't knock him for that. It's a financial, you know, machine. It absolutely prints money. It's a fantastic global em empire, really. But equally, he then has to take responsibility for the football side of things. And he will say, and, you know, in indeed, he's sort of kind of you know, been happy to say it, that, that basically they've got a football structure inside, he can't take everything, and he's very happy with that football structure. Well, actually, if, if he's got a football structure working underneath him, then I think that needs closer examination. Mm. I think last summer's window was good. I think they had spent 150 million on British talent. You can't, three players in, you can't do it all in one window. Um, and one was Saka, James, Maguire, good signings. But they clearly needed you know, couldn't afford to lose so many strikers and they clearly need another midfielder. So it's big windows ahead and you cannot let Man United seep lower and lower into the division. It's really, honestly, this at the moment, Man United is nowhere near good enough to suggest that you can carry on drifting for another 18 months in the hope that Solskjaer gets it right. That's not enough for me. Yeah, I've, I find it incredible that Woodward says he's happy with the football side of the operation. Recruitment is patchy. They're in a situation where the biggest players don't want to go to Manchester United anymore. You've got someone even like Dean Henderson, who's been the star of the season at Sheffield United, basically saying, I'm not going to go back to Old Trafford to be an understudy. Mm. So you've got that dilution of, of Manchester United's legend that's going on before our eyes. Yeah. There's an element of bread and circuses about all this. We're in the last few days of the transfer window. Will Manchester United panic and throw money at a player or several players? I, I hope they don't. I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if they if they did. But I, I agree with John that that you know the there are positives to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign. There's a lot of negatives as well. But the fact that the three players you mentioned they brought through in the summer are players that Manchester United are about. You know, youth, vibrant good players who, who can have stellar careers at, at Old Trafford and with the right players around them can can go on to become, I'd stop short of saying legends at the club, but they can all, all three could go on to become very, very good players there. But I, 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 it's, it's just been strange, hasn't it? Because, you know, Edward was clearly getting a lot, of, a lot of stick and the Glazers now, I think we've seen a real ramping up over the last four or five days of noise against them when, I'm not saying it ever went away, but it, it went quiet for a little while, didn't it? Mm. But I think if you look back over the last few years, there's a bit of revisionism going on with... I don't think anyone said on the day that Paul Pogba walked back through the door, that's a bad signing. I think everyone said what a good signing it was going to be for Manchester United. This was the boy who'd come through the ranks, understood the club, been away, become a serial winner... In, in a respected European league and was going to bring that back to Manchester United. And for whatever reason, it just hasn't happened for him. I think Lukaku, a lot of us thought, who saw him at Chelsea, mm. uh, thought that that would probably be a good signing. I mean, his, game, his goals to games ratio for Everton, West Brom, were, was very good and with better players around him. So I, I, I don't think Manchester United, don't think the problems are as big as we all say because it probably only takes three or four more players. As You know, look at look where Liverpool came from over the last four or five years by, by bringing in two or three very good signings. But Liverpool, like Manchester City, had a, a very clever long-term strategy. Which is what I United need to put in place. I don't see it. I just don't see it at the moment. 
no, no, I don't. I mean, the, the one thing you would say, uh, the, you say there would have been positives. The, the negatives were that there was this Galactico approach to sign-ins, wasn't it? And it, and it clearly hasn't worked. So, yeah, they, they, they have to... John's right, you know, if, if Edward was happy with the football side of things, well, he shouldn't be, because... Manchester United shouldn't be so many points off off top spot in the Premier League. Even if even if they were fifth or fourth, they shouldn't be this far behind the leaders no. at, at this stage of the season. But what I'm trying to say is, it's only going to take a couple of good key appointments. Whether it's a new manager and a new director of football, whether they bring. I mean, I still think they should bring in Pochettino uh, in the summer. Get the right recruitment person to work alongside him. And I think maybe in two or three years with a couple of very clever signings, you know, it's, it's easier said than done, isn't it, to go out and get the next Alisson or go out and get the next Van Dijk. But, you know, they're the sort of mm. signings that we're talking about to come in, to play alongside these young boys that they're bringing through who have got impressive futures ahead of them. And I think, I, I don't think we're going, there was a lot, lot of talk, wasn't there, about Liverpool being 30 years. I don't think we're going to see it 30 years before Manchester United next win the title. Yeah. We've got, you know, I, I assume you agree that Manchester City are going to get to Wembley at mm. United's yeah. Let's focus then on the following game against Wolves. Do Wolves look to you like a potential Europa League winning team? Well, I, I, I think so, yeah. Because the, only, the biggest worry for me is the amount of games. Because I think they've, I'm right in saying that basically <laughs> close to playing if they're not already as many games already as they did last season. The, the, the worry is... About 40, 41, isn't it, somewhere? Yeah, I mean, it, it, look, the worry for me would be that he, like a lot of Premier League managers, I understand this, doesn't want to carry a you know too big a first-team squad, if you like. Nuno, we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, there's a few... You know, there's a few players around the edges, like Gibbs White is just coming back from injuries, very interesting players, and he's not just for Wolves, but for England. You know, I, th I think that basically there's, there's bits and pieces coming around the edges... But I just feel that the core of that team play week in, week out. And I'm talking about the kind of uh, Neves, you know, kind of Cody at the back and um, Doherty, who's an absolute inspiration, isn't he? I mean, it's just astonishing. You, you know, they've got some really, really great, great players and who've benefited from Nuno. But the, the world is their oyster at the moment. They're playing so well. How on earth they lost to Liverpool? Because they played so brilliantly with so much energy. And it was such a vibrant, exciting and standing game. That is Wolves all over, isn't it? What a breath of fresh air they've been. My only worry for them would be whether or not, indeed, this kind of number of games catches up with them. Because otherwise, you would say Chelsea is stuttering a little bit. All of a sudden, it's become a little bit more difficult for Frank Lampard because he can go and sign players. So it's a different pressure. Can Wolves go and nick fourth place? Or can they go and win the Europa League? Either way, I can really see Wolves pushing on and, you know, maybe getting into the Champions League next season. Their progression and the excitement that they bring, I think, to English football really deserves it. Yeah, and if you look, you know, we talk about good coaching and the impact of that. If you look at Adama Traore, successive managers have had him, understood the speed, understood the talent. Some of his crosses, you know, were on the, on the way to Pluto, basically. He's actually discovered the final ball. Now, is that down to Nuno? And should we give him more credit? 
It's down to Nuno. It's uh, for giving the player the belief. It's down to the player for working hard on it. It's down to the entire coaching staff at Wolverhampton Wanderers. I mean, I, I, you look at Traore, don't you? And you see a rugby league player, the, the way he's built. Yeah. And, and I remember speaking to a couple of left fullbacks when Ronaldo was in his pomp in, in the Premier League. And, and you know, you sort of used to look at Ronaldo and I, because he was such a slip of a lad almost when he came over. You didn't realise that when he, you know, as he as he grew and as he matured, he, the frame until you actually stood alongside him, his frame was it was just like you know the perfect physique, you know, and to, for for defenders to see him running at them, this this six foot one, you know, built the way he was, was a frightening prospect. And I think Traore's got a bit. I'm not, I'm not comparing him to Ronaldo in terms of his ability, but when you see someone running at you at that pace and with that power. It, it makes you think twice about how you're going to handle it, what you're going to do. And so he's, he has got the X factor that, that is going to give defenders uh, trouble. But, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think Nuno obviously deserves a lot of credit for, for the way he's handled that club, the way he's handled the players. He's had money to spend, but he's also like, he's had the, the look of having the, the agent, George Mendes, in there, guiding him, being able to put promising young players his way as well. And, and that's been a big helping hand. But um, what will be interesting now for, for Nuno is, is where his career goes next. Uh, you know, whether one of the big clubs take a chance on him. Because there's one thing to manage a club, a grand old club in, in Wolves, but a club who are of the stature that Wolves are now. And a very, it's a very different beast to go and manage a Liverpool or a Manchester United, an Arsenal or a Tottenham. So it would be fascinating to see his development in the next few years as well and what he decides, what he wants for his career, you know, whether he wants to leave a club like Wolves where he's respected and built a really loyal following and, and take a chance and go somewhere else. Mm. Flip back to Liverpool very briefly, John, if I could. They've got two chores to get out of the way before they can have that break. West Ham midweek mm. and then Southampton. I just want to focus on West Ham. Is that a club on the way to doing a Sunderland? Potentially, yeah. I, listen, I, the only thing I think about West Ham is that I don't see them going down, ultimately, and that will be their saving grace. And I think that David Moyes is experienced enough. I do think, despite results, I think there's enough in the, in the squad. The worry for me would be the toxic atmosphere now, the toxic relationship between the fans and, and, and the players and, and the club, really. They just... Since they moved to the London Stadium, a lot of fans have fallen out of love with West Ham. They, they, they call themselves West Ham fans, and yet, actually, they, they've stopped really being fanatical about the club, haven't they? You know, they've taken away the very essence of the word. And I don't blame them for that, because I, ju I just think that, that, you know, it was really interesting to hear... I did hear a sort of a radio interview with David Gold last week, which caused a bit of derision, I think, amongst the West Ham faithful. And David Gold, in fairness to him, railed back against it. And you could tell that he was embarrassed about some, some of the kind of, you know, things that were sort of said in the past and kind of failed targets. And showing enough humility to convince me that basically there is a realisation there that, look, the club hasn't done what it promised, the club hasn't done what it said, we need to address it. And there's a real worry, I think, about the, about the club. As I say, I think there'll be three worst teams off than West Ham, and I think they've got that extra bit of added quality, but the recruitment hasn't been good enough. You know, that, that stadium still doesn't feel like home. They're trying to do bits, and I, I applauded them at the start of the season for kind of bringing in retro kits to mm. try and show a bit of tradition, and they deserve respect for that. But they've somehow got to bridge this disconnect, and it has become a disconnect between the club and the fans. 
And that stadium is at the heart of it. It's for strange me. Though, I just don't know how they can do it. Because at the start of the season, Pellegrini, I mean, we were talking, we were lauding him at the start of the season. Yeah. You know, what a well, they made some good signings. Made, they, made, they made what looked like good signings. Haller came in, scored against Watford, didn't he? And, mm. you know, it looked £45 million, well spent, and he's off and running. And, and but the, the, this is the problem that they've got is that. It, when they're not winning, mm. the ground is, is gets the blame for everything. And yet I've been there plenty of times in the last couple of years when they've actually been doing all right, they've played well, and the atmosphere's not been bad. I've been there other times and they've had a stinker and the atmosphere's just been dreadful. Mm. But it, it's it's a very weird situation there now. And, I mean, it, you know, obviously, interestingly, it's sort of whether there are parallels some parallels with Arsenal and, and Arsene Wenger's comments of last week about mm. um, the, the club losing their losing its mm. soul when when they left Highbury to go to the Emirates. And, you know, I, I think when I, I heard the same interview as you, and I think David Gold was right, you know, as much as Upton Park was a great historic ground, you do have to, again, as we say, roll with the times and, you know, and, and, and it's one of those that the stadium would have just been completely... No, I'm not saying not worried about completely. Sorry, that would be the wrong thing to say. But the stadium wouldn't have been the issue that it's become if West Ham had been winning games and, and challenging for maybe the top eight year after year, which, given their resources, is, is where they should be. I, I respected what David Gold said, actually. I, I actually thought, you know what, he, he was he was kind of, you know, being told, actually, what you've done for the club. And he railed against it. Mm. And I actually think that, you know, David Gold isn't always the most, you know, visible or vocal member of, of, of that kind of threesome. And I just felt that, but actually, there's a realisation there. And the sooner that they basically grasp that, understand that, admit that, listen to the fans, because they're clearly not at the moment, mm. the better. And it I just thought he was making it, some that's, sense. Absolutely. That, that's the thing. They, they, they set themselves up. that. That's yeah, fair, and they set themselves up for a fall. By, you, you know, you, you promise things. Football doesn't work. You know, you, mm. you can set things up and then ultimately... The, the gods, the fates of football will, you know, there are so many quirks that can go against you. But if they said, look, this is where we want to be in 10 years' time or five years' time, whatever the time frame was, and this is how we want to go out and do it, then I'm all for... But the key is, Tom, that, but will, they be, that will they be there in five or 10 years' time? Because there's, I think, understandable cynicism mm. that you get to 2021 when, under the terms of the agreement for the stadium, the current owners can sell and move on sure. and make a pretty yeah, penny. Yeah, yeah. That is, I think, the heart and, of it. And, that and they don't that. trust the people who run the and, club. And that, that, well, that's, the trust is the big, the, the key word, mm. isn't it, that a lot of fans use. And, and I, I can, I, again, you know, it, it, it does, as John said earlier, it sounds a bit fence-sitting, but I can see it from, from, from both sides. I understand the animosity of the fans, but the problem is, with, with football, and it doesn't matter which club you support today, how many, how many sets of supporters can you name who genuinely love their owners? I mean, Liverpool, obviously. Mm -hmm. But how, how many others can you think of where they're like, no, they're doing everything right, couldn't be happier with Leicester. them? Leicester. Leicester, yeah. 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 But, but the, the point no, being... No, 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 I totally, I totally not, agree with you. It's not a huge number. And no. maybe lower down in the yep. leagues, you know, you, you, you'll get one or two saying, well, actually, for the level we're at, we like the way we're managed and we like the way we're run. But everyone's unhappy with, with their ownership structure. Yeah. Give or take. But is there a basic lack of competence within that club? I'll give you an example of recruitment. Yeah. No one's going to tell me that Sebastian Haller is worth £40 million. Mm. They're, they're thrashing around in this window to try and bring someone else in. You've got someone... Someone told me within the, within the structure of the club, the scouting staff is, is minimal. 
They've just lost two who happen to be Pellegrini's son and Husilios's son. They've gone, you know, with with their dads. So there's no one there doing the 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 you know boots on the ground work. You've got now in the Premier League, it is a sophisticated operation. You look at what's happening at Liverpool with their analytics and their research. West Ham are a corner shop. Yeah, look, I think they've been guilty in the past of, and I think they've tried to address this. Billich had a big staff, really, really big staff. And, and I think equally, you know, Pellegrini has brought with him certain ideas. And, so, you know, again now, they're, they're reduced now to the bare bones. I mean, to talk, to talk about sort of David Moyes when, when he's talking after Saturday's game and still not having a, a, a backroom staff to speak of. I mean, forget scouting and recruitment if you've not got the support staff. Alan Irving with him, that's bad. Yeah, and, then, you know, it's just not, it's not enough. I mean, those are the sort of things that, that most clubs, you know, sometimes when, when you know, people write stories, always, you know, that this manager is set to come in and then it's announced and unveiled a couple of days later. They, most clubs take those two days to kind of appoint the goalkeeping coach, the assistant manager, you know, the first team coach, call it what you like. That's what's done. And then basically the manager comes in, names his staff. And, you know, here we are a few weeks later. Listen, as I say, I do think that David Moyes will keep them up because of that experience. But they've made a series of, I think, of bad decisions. Why not stick with David Moyes in the first yeah. place? Mm. That was their biggest mistake. There's a, there's a manager who built up Everton into being, you know, the fifth or sixth best team on moderate resources, whether Everton fans like this or not. He basically established Everton, didn't he, as a top-half team, a team that would always compete, always be safeguarded in the Premier League, you know, a go-forward team. He could have done exactly the same at West Ham. Now he finds himself, you know, they've gone back in time, they've lost however many years it is, what, two years? It's completely gone, waste of time. They, they've gone back in time to, to eradicate their, their poor decision-making in the first place. You know, Four Nows, for example, is a great case in point. Everyone looked at him, all the big clubs looked at him, you know, with, I wasn't, I'm still not quite sure what he is in Premier League terms. Mm. You know, West Ham took the, took the jump. We've seen good flashes of him, we've seen bad flashes of him, but I'm still not quite sure yeah. where he fits into that structure. Yeah. With relegation in mind, yeah. Tom, you know, John thinks there are three worse teams than West yeah, Ham. I agree. I'm, I'm not 100% sure about that. <laughs> I agree for now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <coughs> with that in mind, which is the most important game? for uh, Aston Villa this week? Is it Tuesday's League Cup semi-final second leg against Leicester or the weekend's game against Bournemouth? My goodness. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's such a tricky... It, it, this, it, this actually goes back to what we were talking about at, at the start of the show, you know, when, when what, what do you prioritise? I mean, look, the, the most important game, clearly, is, is to stay in the Premier League. Uh, so it's, it's the Bournemouth game. Um, the game that gives them the chance to to stay up because uh, as sad as that sounds, you know, I wish it wasn't. Uh, I wish I wish a cup semi final and a chance to go to Wembley and win some silverware. But but still, look, they they they've still got to go and beat 
probably Manchester City, but maybe Manchester United in the final, even if they get through Tuesday's game. So, you know, in, with, with that in mind, the, the league game is the important one. It, it's, it's, it's sad to see. I, I, yeah, that, 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 yeah. That's, that's the long and short of it, unfortunately. How do you see that semi-final going? I still think Leicester will probably go through. I was at the first game and I'm down to do the, the, the return, actually. I thought Villa were terrific in the first game, absolutely terrific. And I thought they were, you know, Jack Grealish, I mean, blimey, he was the, the epitome of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the, the captain and the leader. Brilliant. Does he deserve England recognition? Oh, absolutely. I can't believe it's, this, it's been this long, which slightly worries me because he's been so good for so long and so de- deserving of a call-up that kind of has Southgate, who I, you know, really admire, I think he's an excellent England manager, but has he spotted something in him that he doesn't quite like? Does he retain the ball too long or does he you know, kind of, you know, not do something or that he thinks that maybe he's got options elsewhere. Obviously, you know, you've got Grealish and Madison, but I think they're different players. But then Daly Alley, you know, I think Daly Alley on current form must come back in the next England squad. He Mason deserves Mount, that. Should, should Mason Mount be left out? Yeah, I mean, Mason Mount isn't always, you know, now starting, is he? You know, so it, I think Mason Mount has had a terrific season, but I just cannot understand why Grealish isn't in the England squad. And I, I, I think the way that he's carried Villa at times on his own shoulders, you know, has, has been has been great. Look, I do still think that Leicester will probably get through because um, you know they, they've had a fantastic season themselves. They're well capable of going away from home as they've already done at Villa and get, getting a result. But I, I just think that that game previously gave Leicester, uh, gave Villa a boost. Although a few days later they lost at home to you know Man City, didn't they? And absolutely thrashed in the process. But I. I you know, I, I think Villa, if they've got all their players there, you know, if they've got everyone fit and they haven't got, I think they'll, they, they, they would survive relegation. The worry for me is that Villa, if more injuries bite, then it's a massive, massive concern. And I can understand why they would think survival is bigger than going, you know, down to Wembley. OK, you know, one of our great clichés, which we usually hammer to death around about this time of year, is the whole thing about, you know, sleeping giants. Villa is one. Newcastle is probably a comatose giant <laughs> in many ways. We're in the usual speculation season about takeover, uh, 340 million takeover by the Saudi Arabian or representatives of the Saudi Arabian uh, sovereign wealth fund. A whole can of worms are going to be opened up by that. Do you expect anything to happen? I mean, look, if, if this was any uh, uh, just a you know, normal story and I hadn't read it, Three or four times with Newcastle, then yes, I would say, you know, we're clearly things are things are bubbling along nicely. But it is Newcastle, and we've been here so many times before. And and until deal is done, then I don't think I'd ever be getting too carried away with it. I think what 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 always interests me about deals like this, and I think it's even more the case than than transfers and and managerial moves, is that when you hear about them, that's when I start to think. Oh, there's some sort of problem there. You know, there's mm. someone somewhere is trying to has leaked this, has briefed about this to try and get a deal over the line, or to get a deal that is maybe stalling a little bit, kicked on to that next level that they need it to be. I mean, look, all the, the suggestions this morning are that we're eighty or ninety percent mm. down the line. Well, with it depends it. on who you speak to. Uh, to be honest, yeah, we've been here before. Mike, Mike Ashley, uh, you know, from from what I, again just from what I've read this morning, in, in the States at the moment, very unhappy... Sorry, uh, very unhappy that in the States at the moment this is, this news has come out. So, again, 
why, why has it come out? That would be the question if I was a Newcastle fan. Before I got too excited about the prospect of Rafa Benitez coming back, mm. why, why would I be... Uh, Rafa Benitez, by the way, who was lined up by West Ham, and that might have been a sliding doors moment for him had Real Madrid not come in at the end. But, you know, before with, with Newcastle, I, I would just be foot on the ball and, and worrying about what Steve Bruce might do in the transfer window this week rather than whether or not a deal will get done to him by the club. Speaking of that window, John, it's been pretty quiet so far. Mm. What does that say about the state of the transfer market and maybe even the future of it? Will we be seeing more and more clubs doing a little bit of a Chelsea and promoting from within, being a bit more almost like self-regulating, and you'll then get that's the big, the massive marquee signing. So that you know, but the, the you know we we used to a torrent of deals on the last day. Are we is that in the past? Well, I, I, I really always believe this, that basically if you are a well-run club and well-structured with, with a good philosophy, you should be going nowhere near the, the January transfer window. In fact, the, the only one that I think is a good bit of business is by Liverpool, you know, who can sign one for the future, bring one, bring one in, blend him in during sort of kind of, you know, for the end of this season and then hope that it's sort of kind of, you know, it's take off his next season. Mm. That's really shrewd business. Well, Minamino for seven and a half million. Brilliant, joke, fantastic, and that that absolutely epitomises their their brilliant business because Michael Edwards knows about the, the buyout clause, does a deal which doesn't annoy his, his club. You know, the deal is very very smooth and it's done even before the window opens. So they've stolen a march even before the window opens on their rivals. I mean, that Liverpool epitomise a well-run football club at the moment. Spurs, I've got some sympathy with them on sort of the, the, the Ericsson ridiculous soap opera with Inter Milan. It's all Inter's fault. Come on, put up or shut up. They know the price. They're getting a bargain. I don't believe that for a moment Ericsson wanted to go there. I think he set his heart on Spain, but he's played so badly in the last 12 months that they're no longer interested in him. That's the long and short of it. But now Spurs, with the Harry Kane thing, are forced into the market. So, again, sort of kind of sympathy with that. But the reality is that you shouldn't be shopping in this market. I don't think Frank, I think Frank Lampard would probably think, oh, I wish they hadn't overturned the ban because it puts a different <laughs> pressure on him. Now he's expected to go and buy, and once he goes and buys, all of a sudden the expectation rises because up until this point, it's been brilliant. Chelsea are going fantastic. If they finish top four, Frank Lampard will do, do a great job. If he goes and spends 30 million on the striker, and that's cheap these days, isn't it? Then all of a sudden it will be they're expected to go and you know finish fourth. So it's changing expectations, and I just think that clubs don't want to be doing it. If you, I speak to a lot of agents, it's a very very quiet window. Get they're frustrated, feeling frustrated. Aren't they as well. Yeah, clubs absolutely. aren't. Some some of them I've spoken to have had deals lined up for players before the window opened, and yet clubs dragging their heels. Don't you know? Not sure whether to, to push for someone or something better might just come available and another option might come available. I think, just, just to go back to the original question, Mike, what would be very interesting, I mean, it's a real damp squib of a, of a window now, and, and I, I think we might see that for the next couple of years as owners start saying, as, as Crossy said, you know, look, at, hang on a minute, how can Chelsea have brought these mm. youngsters through? What, what have we got in our academy? Can we save ourselves a few quid and make a few quid? But what would be very interesting is this the new loan law that's going to come in in the next couple of years where you're only allowed to loan, is I think it's a maximum of eight players out, isn't it? Which is obviously mm. uh, the Chelsea model has been to loan players all over the shop and then bring them back in and all of a sudden you've got this ready-made team, you know, these lads who are, you know, I'm not saying they're ready-made for the Premier League, but they, they're going into the Premier League with plenty of first-team experience from good other leagues. So it'll be fascinating to see what happens with the January transfer window when that 
comes in and, and players haven't got the youth players coming through. Uh, sorry, teams haven't got the youth players coming through that they might have to start spending a lot of money again in the January window. Yeah, you both mentioned agents there. Uh, this is the time of year where they basically make the money for their Barbados villas or wherever it is. They're in dispute with mm. FIFA. You know, basically, they don't want any cap on their earnings. They feel it's a restraint of trade, etc., mm. etc. Any sympathy? Listen, I'm, I'll always have the alternative view on agents, and maybe that's because I'm sort of coloured by the fact that I do speak to a lot of them. But I actually think that, basically, there's been a lot of, you know, controversy about deregulation and kind of rules, and I think it, some, of, some, of it's, you know, some of it is a joke, an absolute joke, when you have a figurehead who's not got the exam, not got the qualification, and basically just get someone behind the scenes to put, kind of be a signatory and get it over the line. It's £500 to get your licence. Well, it's, yeah, I know, but it's, it, it's ridiculous. But on the flip side, I, I, it slightly makes my toes curl when I, I hear the kind of complete, you know, whitewash and dismissal, you know, of every single agent being a kind of moneymaker, crook, you know, really sort of, I, I don't know, sort of just daylight robbery, really, modern-day Dick Turpin, simply because I just think there's a hell of a lot of good agents mm. out there mm. who will say... Who, I tell you, the, the agent-player relationship has completely changed, I think, in the modern agent, in that, basically, the, the player used to speak to the manager or used to speak to a, a, a friend or used to speak to his dad. Now, the good agents have that close-knit relationship with the player. So they speak to them every day. They will, they will advise them. They, they will talk to them about... And you speak to good agents and they'll say, well, I've told him not to go to that club because he won't... You know, it's a better club, better deal, but he won't get so many minutes. Honestly, I think that the, the, this complete, you know, dismissal of agents as a, as a whole is just wrong and unfair. I, you know, a lot of them, I think, have managed their players spectacularly well, you know, got them to the best clubs, got them the best deals, um, got them really in a position whereby they can absolutely maximise their potential. And I think the best agents will always be worth, you know, their, their weight in gold. They won't want any limelight, by the way. And the fact that, you, you know, we know some of them tells you where I'm coming from on this. Mm -hmm. Because it's the guys in the background who don't want the publicity that, that, that really, I think, for my, for my money, are exceptional at what they do. And no one should. No one should have their. Why, why should they have their earnings capped? Like, well, you know, mm. We'd be going crazy. And anyone yeah. listening to this, if somebody came into their industry and said there's a cap on what you can earn, they'd be going crazy about it. You know, look, agents earn a lot of money because there's a lot of money in football, and that's the way the regulations set up. If you want to go and be an agent and earn a lot of money, go and do it. And if you're any good, you 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 mm. you get a good client, you'll earn the money. So I, I just think to to start putting a cap on them, as long as they're taxed and paying yep. the taxes that they owe, I haven't got a problem with what they earn. Yeah. Well, as the guys say, there's good and bad in any profession. Someone like Mino Viola has done very well out of football. £40 million from the Paul Pogba deal, to be precise. He says fans are on the side of the agents. I'm not that sure. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.